We're continuing in, uh, in the book of Titus together. This is our second sermon in Titus under the continuing theme of building the household of faith, uh, the series on the church. Our focus is Titus 1, 5 through 9. Uh, but what I'd like to do is, is read the first four verses of the book again, and then we'll continue on to our text. Uh, these four verses are what we focused on two weeks ago. This is God's holy and infallible word. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then our focus this morning, beginning at verse 5 of Titus 1. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That's God's word for us this morning. So, if you remember, we started uh, these, the first verses of the book of Titus with a little wink and nod to the recent presidential campaign uh, with the theme uh, for those first four verses, Make Your Life Great Again. We talked about a great life and framed it that way to get at the richness of life in Christ that Paul describes in those first four verses of Titus and uh, to get at the richness of life in Jesus that all of Scripture presents to us. Tr Jesus truly invites us into a greater life than anything this earth can provide, a greater life than the one we sometimes end up settling for. In Jesus, we can have a greater life with a greater purpose, a greater comfort. And coming out of those verses, Paul instructs Pastor Titus on leadership in the church. And he's specifically talking about elders or overseers, as they're called in verse 7. With that first theme in mind as we started, Titus, I think these verses can show us how to make leadership great again. And how we need great leadership today. Across the board, in every area of life, Great leadership, biblically speaking, is always best described as faithful leadership. Faithful leadership. And so to say we need great leaders is to say we need faithful leaders. 
And faithful leaders have at least three qualities, uh, and I'm going to want to talk about those three this morning. First, faithful leaders rise to the challenge. They rise to the challenge. There are always challenges in organizations, including the church, challenges in our homes, at work, in our nation. Faithful, great leadership is needed everywhere for these challenges. Verse 5 indicates there were challenges in that young church on the island of Crete. We understand that there were about a hundred different towns on the island in the first century A.D. when Paul wrote this letter. Whether there were Christians in every town, we don't know, but we definitely get the impression that there were multiple groups, multiple churches. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Titus, he went around preaching and starting churches all around the empire of Rome. And more permanent pastors would take over when he moved on to preach and evangelize somewhere else. In Ephesus, it was Pastor Timothy who took over. On Crete, it was Titus. He left Titus, we read in verse 5, to straighten out what was left unfinished. And it makes you wonder what that was about. And we don't have all the details of that. But of course, we do know that the work of the church, any church, is never finished. It's always unfinished. It's ongoing. There's never a day that comes where we all wake up and say, all right, everybody, all done. Good job. High fives all around. Congratulations. We built the church. Time to go home. Jesus gives his people a mission to go and make disciples until he returns, as he promised. Until he comes back, we've still got work to do. We can never be content with the status quo. We're called to keep building. In the church, in a sense, we're called to always have a holy discontent because the work is ongoing. More in particular, the sanctification of these young Christians on Crete was still needed. Sanctification is holiness, the ongoing process of becoming like Jesus. For the people on Crete, for all of us, no longer how long we've been a believer, that work of God in our hearts remains unfinished, at least until we get to heaven. We get the impression uh, from the rest of the book that the people of Crete needed a lot of rough edges smoothed out. The culture there was particularly immoral. In verse 12, Paul quotes a well-known saying that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And we also get the impression as the book goes on that there is a major issue of false teaching on Crete that needed to be addressed and handled. And, and so Titus was left as 
a pastor to continue the work that was ongoing, but we see here that he wasn't called to do it alone. Elders were to be appointed, and Paul wants Pastor Titus to do the appointing, apparently. And that seems a little top-down to us. We have a council, a church council made up of members of the church that elects leaders. As pastors, uh, Matthew and I don't just appoint people to be elders or deacons. Well, the reason for that top-down approach is because the church was so young, so new. There was really no organization to it yet. It was just starting. There was just some people who had responded to the message of Jesus that was preached and then a pastor. And then just like any church plant over time, more organization had to come. And it was starting to be time for that. And it just made most practical sense for Titus to find these leaders, put them in place, and no doubt as the church moved on, people matured, they would elect leaders in a more organized way. Whether it was a council voting for elder and deacon nominees and sending out letters like we do here at Faith and many other churches do, or a pastor appointing elders, people would have to respond, step up. No doubt some guys Titus approached would say they couldn't do it because of other responsibilities in their life, but I'm sure that God provided for the church and just the right people rose to the challenge and served in leadership. In the world, in life in general, leaders are needed to rise up because there are always challenges. There are always leadership voids. As uh, one leadership guru famously put it, everything rises and falls on leadership. And there's truth there. You think of, of sports teams. Good leadership is essential. You know I'm a Lakers fan. That goes back to my high school years living in Southern California. My my poor Lakers have been struggling these last years. And one of the biggest questions, there obviously you have coaches, you have players, but one of the biggest questions is about the leadership of the team. They had this owner, Jerry Buss, who led them to great success over decades. When he died a few years ago, the team was left to his kids, and now his son, uh, Jimmy Buss, is making basketball decisions, and a lot of people really question this guy's leadership. Is he, is he the guy to be leading? A lot of people say no. I think of, of leadership when I think of where I'm receiving my health care over at Central DuPage Hospital. It's part of Northwestern Medicine now. I was led to this hospital because of a faith church member who was in leadership there. I don't want to embarrass him, but he's looking at me right there, Dave, Dave Prince, from everything I've heard, and again, not to embarrass or, call or draw special attention to Dave, but from everything I've heard and understood, he was part of a leadership team working hard and who had a, a vision to create an incredible surgical center 
one that includes one of the only intraoperative MRIs in the region, helpful especially for removing of, of a brain tumor, among other things. They worked hard to attract top doctors from all over the place. They had the vision to build uh, the ninth only in the U.S. proton center in 2010. That's a way of doing radiation, which I'm receiving now, that's more precise and less destructive to healthy tissue than traditional ways of radiation. And so, because of great and faithful leadership, I've benefited from having a great neurosurgeon, a great neuro-oncologist, state-of-the-art equipment, state-of-the-art treatment. It couldn't have happened without faithful leaders. And faithful leadership is needed in the household of faith, too. The church is a unique institution. It's a divine institution, as the first verses of Titus showed us. Uh, but God has called humans to lead it. One, there's, a, there's a theologian that notes God could have decided to do it another way. He could have assigned an angel to every congregation there is, but he didn't. Instead, he calls humans, people, to lead the church, us. We see in the Bible pastors, elders, and deacons as leaders, those who hold office. And that biblical idea of office is important to understand and to get in life. It's based on the fifth commandment. It means that the way God designed human life to work is that there is to be an authority in every area of life, whether it's uh, parents in the home, your boss or manager at work, your teachers, your principal at school, the husband in the, in the marriage, parents in the home, government officials, those in these special leadership positions, office, have a special responsibility to lead well and with integrity. And the rest of us have responsibility to honor and pray for those in office. Life works best when people follow this creation design. And here, the focus is on elders or overseers, which describe what they do, that word overseers, oversight. Faithful leaders of all kinds are needed in the church. God has a very good work here at Faith, and we have more work to do. How much work can we do? Well, it depends on how many people rise up to the leadership challenge. How many small groups can a church have? Well, as many as there are leaders for. If five leaders step up, you know what? We'll have five small groups. If 20 leaders step up, we'll have 20 small groups. Thriving children's ministries, youth ministries, yes, when leaders rise up and so on with men and women's Bible studies, leaders in music, service opportunities uh, to provide and lead trips like the one we just heard about. And you know, all of us are called to lead right where we are in a really real sense. You might not think of yourself as a leader in the church, but 
You're called to rise up where you are, be an example in commitment in your presence and in more behind-the-scenes ways like in giving and in prayer. But also there are these special leadership positions in the church, the positions of office, which is why sometimes you see that word office bearers for elders and deacons. And these positions especially lead in, in oversight, in stewardship, in care, lead in prayer. Uh, they lead in ensuring faithful teaching. And for the church to thrive, it needs people to rise up. The past, I'd say, 10 years or so, we've had less people rise up than we would have liked in terms of being open to serving as an office bearer. God has always provided enough. But just as an example, in the past month or two, eight letters went out to men that the council felt called to put up to the congregation to vote on for the office of elder. Among those eight guys, council had confidence in, five declined to serve. And there are always all kinds of reasons for that. And usually, it's due to other good and worthy commitments in life. A need, for example, to focus on their health maybe. Or maybe a very challenging work schedule that many people have. A a need for a time to address a particular need in their family that that takes energy and time from them. Or it's because they're serving the church in other good ways. But we need people to serve in the top leadership positions too. Do we want the church to thrive? Are we sold on the importance of the church and its mission in this world? We talked about it two weeks ago. The church is the greatest movement and greatest people ever. We've got the greatest hope ever. We're called to know and live the word of truth in this world of falsehood that doubts that there is even truth. And each one of us in the church, we have a mission field beyond the four walls of the church. And either you're engaged in your mission field or you're discovering it and discerning it still. Well, how do you get encouraged and equipped in your life day by day during the week? Well, the church is called to equip God's people for your service. And so the church must be healthy and strong and vibrant. God has chosen to use pastors and elders and deacons to do that in a very special way according to the Bible. Is it time for you maybe this morning to rise up in terms of leadership in the church? Only you know that. And especially in serving on council, there's an internal sense of call that needs to be discerned between you and the Lord. But there's also the external call. Council's recognition of your gifts, asking you to serve. Both pieces have to be there. And so faithful leaders rise to the challenge of leadership that exists in every organization all the time, including the household of faith. Second, this morning, faithful leaders draw on what's best. Faithful leaders rise to the challenge And they draw on what's best. And here, I'm getting at the qualifications for elder, as they're called a lot. 
which are in verses 6, 7, and 8. This is a bit of a repeat of qualifications uh, for elders in 1 Timothy 3. And by the way, there's a lot of overlap between the qualifications for elders and for deacons, even though their task in the church is a bit different. Elders are the overseers, general oversight. Deacons lead more in terms of stewardship, helping the congregation be faithful in in their use of time, money, talents uh, to build up the church. Verse 7 says both are entrusted with God's work. And that tells us the church is God's household. Those who lead are managers of what someone else owns and is the master of. A faithful manager, he has that in mind when he serves. I'm not the owner. I'm not in charge. I lead this place as God would want it led because it's his. There's a connection here between faithfulness at home first before an elder can be entrusted with God's house. The husband of but one wife is mentioned. It's probably not about polygamy or saying that an elder has to be married, but it probably simply means faithfulness in marriage. When it talks about the elder's children, this is about spiritual leadership in the home It's probably not referring to adult children who are no longer under their parents' roof. And then there are some more specific qualifications on the negative side in verse 7, on the positive side in verse 8. And there's no way around it. This is very daunting. And lists like these are what make some people hesitant to serve you look at this list and your life doesn't match up. And it's all the more so when you look at the overarching characteristic. There's an overarching characteristic. It's mentioned in verse 6 and 7. The elder, the overseer, must be blameless. And the dictionary says blameless means not deserving blame. Blameless means being without guilt. Yikes. Who do these men think they are by allowing their name to be put up for nomination? We should have had eight declines for elder, not five. But we know that couldn't be. We know God and the church can't expect perfection. But it's interesting that that's mentioned because that's what blameless basically means. Colossians 1.22 says, God has reconciled you by Christ to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, blameless. And 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's talking about us in heaven when there will be no more sin, when we've been made perfectly holy. That's what blameless means. This is such a high standard that the Bible must be pointing somewhere else. It must be pointing to someone else. And I think that's what's going on. Who's blameless? None of us, that's for sure. Not even the greatest leaders around are blameless. Far from it. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And and that's why I'm talking about here on drawing what's best. Because 
when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Spirit of Jesus. He is in you, empowering you, changing you. And yet, before we reach heaven, that old nature is still within too. And and so, that's why we still stumble and sin and fall. In Romans 7, Paul talks about, he's the guy saying they got to be blameless. And Paul says in Romans 7, he talks about doing what he does not want to do. And when that happens, that's still sin in us. We're, We're called as believers, as leaders, to choose to live according to the Spirit. We can't choose to be saved. God makes that decision to save us, and He does. That's election. But once we're saved, we're called to choose, with His help, what is best day by day, to not indulge the sinful nature, to live by the Spirit, Those who serve in leadership in the church must be those who are working hard at drawing on what is best within them, and that's the Spirit of Jesus. It's through the blameless one that we can be faithful in all our callings in life and as managers in the household of faith, not on our own. If you feel like you don't measure up to the qualifications of elders and deacons, well then, guess what? You've taken the first step in the right direction. You're not blameless, and you know it. It's true. But then we have to take the next step, not stay stuck there waiting for the day when we will be blameless. That will only perfectly happen in heaven. We take the next step with God's help, and day by day we draw on what's best, His Spirit within us. And then you look at these these qualifications Instead of being overbearing in situations in life, with, with the Spirit's help, with the Spirit in you, you step back. You have a spirit of humility. Instead of overdoing it with alcohol, you abstain completely from it if that's what you need to do. Or you be moderate. Instead of being ungracious, be hospitable. Instead of being caught up in temptation, and negativity in life. Love what is good, and so on. When we fail in those things, we're drawing on the old nature and we're letting go of what Christ has given us. Instead, we draw on the new nature Christ gives all of us when we believe. And and we, we depend on what we have in Him. In Christ alone, the Bible says, You are blameless in God's sight. In Christ alone, we live and lead out of who we have become. And so faithful leaders, they rise to the challenge. They draw on what's best. And finally, they hang on to the faithful word. That's what trustworthy message means in verse 9. And hold firmly means they're devoted to this word. They cling to the message. How do, you, how do you accomplish drawing on the Spirit of God and drawing on what's best? Well, by hanging on tightly to the message that we've been handed down as God's people, and that's the gospel. It's the good news of God's grace in Jesus. That's the secret to great and faithful leadership. 
Hanging on to God's word. That's our lifeline. When we think we've got it handled, if we would ever think we're God's gift to the church, well, that's a failure to depend on God's grace. That's thinking too much of ourselves. When we think we can't do it, we just can't do it, well, that's a failure of depending on God's grace too because of course we can't. It's always about him and his strength and not ours. And so we hold firmly to that faithful word. We're committed as a church to teaching and sharing and and defending that word as verse 9 talks about. That's our number one priority, proclaiming God's word. This is the word that we want people to experience at Faith CRC. That's the priority in our mission because that word of God's grace for sinners like us, it's the only way we can live. And the gospel, the word of grace, it's the key to faithful leadership in all areas of life. It's key for moms and dads leading their children. It's key for husbands called to lead in marriage. It's key to leading at school or work, whether you're a a teacher, administrator, manager, an owner. And hanging tightly to the faithful word is key in all the different areas of the church that need faithful leadership, including those leaders who serve in a special way, our elders, our deacons, our pastors. And so leadership can be great when faithful leaders rise to the challenge, draw on the Spirit of Christ within them, and hang tightly to the faithful word, the gospel, the message of grace. Friends, I believe that's God's will for faithful leadership. May he bless you right where you are in all the different places you're called to lead. And may he bless us as we are building this household of faith in so many wonderful ways right here at Faith Church. Amen.